Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 49. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here on this fine Texas spring morning with Van Hargis, Master Horseman Van Hargis. How you doing, Van? Miss Laura, I am wonderful, and I hope it's as nice up there as it is down here. It's a beautiful day, so we're really excited about this. I'm, I'm loving Texas springtime this year. Yeah, it's been pretty good, other than periodic downpours, uh, the, but the weather today is just spectacularly beautiful. So, Well, recently we were back up in my part of the woods, up in the northeast Texas area. We just did a clinic, uh, and it was crazy because... You know, it, it, we we don't get to go back as much as we'd like, but we happen to be up there that weekend for a clinic, and it really went well. But between the Saturday and the Sunday, there was one heck of a tornado, and that tornado made all sorts of news throughout the United States, and especially in the Northeast Texas area. Some folks might not be familiar with Canton, Texas, but Canton, Texas, for those of you who don't know, is like the world's largest. Uh, I call it the world's largest outdoor mall, but I think it's also recorded as, if not the largest, one of the largest uh, outdoor trade expos in the world. Uh, what do they call those flea markets? Flea market, which yeah. I don't understand why they. I don't it understand happens why they every call it flea month. market because, yeah, it happens every month. Well, anyway, Canton got hit by that really bad tornado that was up there, mm-hmm. and it, and it's amazing. I guess just because I grew up in that part of the country and that was like the southern edge of Tornado Alley. You know, people always ask whenever we travel, am I worried about tornadoes and that sort of thing? But I guess when you're raised around them, you don't necessarily take them for granted and and kind of downplay them. But I guess because we do get so many warnings and so many watches that we just, we probably do tend to discount it too much. But uh, I wasn't worried in the least. I was thinking (laughs) I'm I'm safe. I'm in a hotel room and I guess we're going to be safe. But then we woke up the next morning and they were telling us all sorts of damage that had occurred. So. But all went well, you know, great, great, great clinic, and nobody was hurt at the clinic, and a few people were a little bit worried and concerned, but not so concerned that they didn't come the second day, so yay, we had fun. Sounds good. All right, so what are we talking about today on Ride Every Stride? Well, Laura, as you know, our schedule so far, the latter part of winter and the first part of spring has been crazy busy, and almost every presentation that we've done, we've... We've had tons and questions about bits and bidding and when do you ride a horse with this thing and when do you ride him with that thing? And of course, my typical comeback is, you know why there's so many bits? Because none of them work. <laughs> so what we're, what we're going to talk about today is bits and um, try to get, you know, downplay some things I think that are, that are common, common, common mistakes that people think and po- common things that people hear. You know, and, and we're also going to discuss today a little bit about bitless bridles also. So we just kind of lumped it all into one big thing, which are just bits in general. Okay. But when I say bits, I'm not necessarily talking about just bits. Sometimes I might be talking about hackamores, mechanical hackamores, traditional hackamores. What's the difference between those things? We might even talk about bitless bridles, which is kind of funny to me that people would just, would call them that because it's not really a bridle if it's a bitless bridle. But Nonetheless, we're going to try to go over some of those things, Laura, and see if we can't kind of get rid of some of the 
Some of the misconceptions about them, I guess. Well, and so are you going to tell us which is the right bit to use? Yeah, a, a bit of knowledge. Okay. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, here's the reality. You know, I made that joke the other day, you know, so what bit do we use? And I said, just use a bit of knowledge. That's really all it takes. But the reality is, is that, you know, and it is kind of a joke, but it's so true. When you go into your tack room or, or into, oh, like a co-op or a tack store, the largest selection of anything you'll see is the selection of bits. Mm-hmm. And there's several reasons why, but the two that I like to make the most fun of are, number one, is there's so many because none of them work. And the other one is, is that there's so many because the manufacturers themselves are put under such demand by the consumer. And of course, the consumer is driven by the retailer, but the retailer goes to all the manufacturers and says, hey, what's new? What can you build me that's new? What have you got that's new this year that you've built? So the retailers are in demand to put new stuff on their on their walls and in their stores because they know that's what sells. And of course, that's driven, of course, by the consumer. The consumer is always wanting something new. And of course, I'm going to ask another why question. Why is that consumer always wanting something new? Because it's easier to buy a tool than it is to learn how to use the one that you've got. That's why there's so many. And it seems like, I mean, I've certainly seen this, and I'm not even as involved in the industry as you are, that that when people are having some sort of issue with their horse, they they think the answer is to sort of make a play on a phrase from an old movie, um, we're going to need a bigger bit, you know, instead of the bigger boat from Jaws. But Right, right. <laughs> you know, that that seems to be the answer that people think is going to solve the problem. I, if my horse won't mind me, so to speak, I just need a bigger bit or a stronger bit or or something. And I'm getting a, a hint from what you're saying, and also because we've talked about this before, that you don't think a bigger bit's the answer to a problem with the horse. Sometimes a bigger bit, sometimes a better bit. I mean, the reality is, is that when people go to my tack room, I, I love to watch people when, you know, that they see me riding a horse and they see what it's doing and they think, wow, that sucker really does a great job. And then they want to start looking at the bit because that's the secret, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's where all the knowledge and all the tricks to my training lie is with that bit. And then what's worse is they go by my tack room a little while later and they'll walk by and, and it's almost like they're looking to make sure I'm not seeing them. And then they'll go study the wall of where I've got my bits laid out. And when they do, I can't help but to chuckle because they had this huge look of disappointment. Mm. And the reason why is there's hardly anything in there. I have a very few selection of bits. And some people assume that trainers are going to have like walls and walls of them and that we know exactly the right combination to use on the right horse at the right time. And that's all there is to horse training is not the work that we put in but the tool that we're using. And that makes all the difference in the world. And I can't disagree with that thought or that theory more because to me, a really good horseman and the type of horseman that we're trying to develop at our clinics and our seminars and our expos are the type of horsemen that the last thing they need is to be dependent on an inanimate tool that has no IQ. Mm -hmm. That bit can't do your thinking for you. It can't know the timing. It can't have understanding of the horse. It doesn't know the situation that's been set up. It doesn't know the history. And it certainly doesn't know your goals. So what decision can the bit make? And the reality is none whatsoever. It can only do what your mind and your hands 
communicate to it to do. And once we understand the bit, regardless of which one you choose, once you understand it and you understand how it works and you understand how it affects your horse and you're comfortable and knowledgeable and skillful at using it, it makes no difference what that is. Now, with all that said, I'm certainly going to make a lot of recommendations to people about the bits that they should likely use because we have to oftentimes match the communication skill of the rider with the communication skill uh, or the skill level of the horse. For example, at a a clinic recently, we had a rider, had a very well-trained horse, but unfortunately she was a little bit off balance and didn't didn't ride very well. I don't mean she didn't rode badly, but she just rode a little bit imbalanced, meaning that she bounced a lot and she transferred all that bounce through her arms, through her hands, and then of course through the reins and ultimately into the bit and then lastly, into the horse's mouth. As a result, the the horse was carrying his head very high as if he was trying to protect himself, and she couldn't understand why he was doing that. Why is my horse running around with his head upside down, she would say. Why is he running around with his head so high? Why won't he travel with his head as low as yours does? Why won't he travel as low as the the lady over there? And the, the common thing was we were all using a much lighter type of bit, And she was using this one that was pretty harsh. And her response to that, when I pointed out the bit that she was using was pretty harsh, well, it's the only bit that I've got. Now, granted, she was trying to learn to ride with that bit, but the the reality is the horse needed a little bit of relief from her bouncy hands. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion was, and I gave her one of mine, was my suggestion was to use a much lighter bit, a snaffle bit, for example. A snaffle bit is one that most of us will recognize as having rings on the side or D-rings on the side or some sort of bit that has no leverage to it, meaning that it doesn't have a long shank and it doesn't have a curb strap. It's just a non-leverage bit, which means that if if you pull with one pound of pressure, that's the exact amount of pressure the horse is going to feel on its face. In other words, if you're flopping around and your hands are bouncing and your your hands are transmitting a, a signal some sort of pounds of pressure, if you will, to the horse's face, whether it be intentional or otherwise, then that's the only amount the horse is going to feel in his face. So that's very, very important when we consider new and beginning riders, because we have to realize that beginner rider doesn't have the riding skill as a more experienced rider, and they don't have the ability to keep their hands calmer and quieter, and in some cases, slower so that we want to slow our hands down so that we don't transmit that power and that speed to the horse's mouth. So imagine, if you will, Laura, you know, if you had an opportunity to work with a really caring, skilled, professional dentist or a kid that's just right out of dental school that's pretty good, he passed all of his courses, but he doesn't really have a lot of experience yet with his hands and his tools, which would you choose? Well, obviously, the more experienced one. Right. But see, the horse doesn't get the choice. Mm -hmm. The horse has no way of communicating back to us that we've got really lousy hands with that really heavy tool of a bit. So when in doubt, we've got to realize, you know, until I get better at riding, and I mean being a true rider versus a passenger, when I get better at riding, I might then begin to advance my skill level to use a quote unquote bigger bit. But let's, even with that said, before we go any further, let's talk about the bigger bit versus the snaffle. They both send a very similar signal. And I say similar because as a more complicated bit uh, advances, the signal actually gets less deliberate, 
meaning that the signal that it sends to the horse, it may be or could be a possibly a strong signal, but the reality is it's very subtle signal when used correctly. A snaffle bit is has multiple pieces, which means that you can control your left hand and your right hand, the left side of your horse's face, the right side of your horse's face, independently, together, or completely separate altogether. So because of the fact that we can break the signals up with that bit, it makes it to where the horse gets a very direct signal from us as to what we want the horse to do. When we have a big curb bit, oftentimes they're built together in the sense that they don't have as many moving parts. Therefore, when we send a signal with it, it's a much more discreet, not quite uh, as, as a deliberate signal. So as a result, the horse has to kind of know the communication before they kind of know what to do. And that comes with the time and consistency of the horse and rider working together or an experienced horseman riding an experienced horse. And that communication comes together. So I, I know that sometimes when I'm, when I'm saying a lot of that stuff, people are trying to visualize the snaffle bit in their mind. They're trying to visualize uh, like a, like a more complex bit in their mind, you know, like a curb bit in their mind. But the reality is, is that the, the snaffle bit is a much more direct, but yet milder signal. And the curb bit is a much more indirect and can be a harsher signal. I hope that makes sense to people. Yeah. And just as a side thing, if, if we've got somebody who's listening, who maybe isn't familiar with all these terms, you know, in terms of the snaffle bit versus a curb bit and, and all of those things, do you have any any resource or something that people could go to to kind of educate themselves on the different types of bits? Is there um, or something that you'd recommend so that they can understand it a little better? Or or, or would you just say, you know what, just go get this kind and, and you don't need to know the rest of it? Well, we did a, we did a video, uh, a DVD several years ago, Laura, that I think is, is probably one of the better ones on the market as far as breaking bits down, talking about each individual piece of the bit. Like, for example, the, the cheek pieces, whether it be uh, an O-ring, a D-ring, a full cheek. I mean, all of these are strange terms to people who don't know the difference. But we did a really good job in that in that DVD of breaking all those little pieces down. We even discussed the different types of mouthpieces, whether it be a two-piece or a three-piece snaffle, or even a one-bar snaffle, which is kind of rare, but they, they do exist. And even the types of materials that the bits are made out of. I don't make any recommendations to people as to what they should get and what they shouldn't get because there's enough guys out there telling everybody all the time what they should do and what they shouldn't do and that sort of thing. My goal, as you know, Lars, always tell everybody why mm -hmm. and then they'll figure out what's best from there, in my opinion. If you truly understand why a bit is made out of particular types of metals, if you understand why an O-ring and a D-ring were designed the way they were designed, then it'll help you make your decision as to which one you'd like to buy. If you understand why certain bits have leverage and certain bits don't, then you'll have a better understanding as to what you want to choose as your bit. Or if you understand why you're riding in the first place, are you riding to be a competitor someday? Or are you just riding on the ranch? Or are you just doing trail riding? So depending on what the purpose is, will help you determine, you know, what your, what bit you should select. But with all of that is said, going back to your question about the resource, the bit or the video that we did several years ago was the video called Bit by Bit. Now, here's the bad part. We didn't release it. And we didn't release the bit because during the time that we were getting all the editing and everything else done, 
the company that helped us make the uh, make actually they make all of my bits, but the the company that helped us put that DVD together, uh, one of their presidents died and passed away, and and during all the turmoil of what was going on with the company, the guy that did all the the editing lost the original DVD. In other words, the 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 I forgot what the they master. called it, but it's like the original one that the yeah the master that they do all the editing and everything on. Well, the bad thing about him losing it was is that he had sent the video to me to to review before they released it, and I found two things in there that I didn't like. There were two words that that were misspelled, and they said, "Man, we're sorry, man, but we can't find the master, so we there's no way we can we, we can go back and change that." So, you know, we're, we're going to have to release it as it is. And I wouldn't let them. I said, no way. I'm not going to let you release that darn video out there with these words misspelled like that. That's that's a poor reflection on you guys. It's a poor reflection on me. And besides that, there might be some kid out there that's going to misspell bridal. <laughs> so I, I, didn't want them, I didn't want them to release it. So we didn't release it. But now all these years later, we thought of a creative way that we could get that in the hands of people so that they could literally watch the DVD or at least watch the, the video and learn everything that we put in there, which was about the things we mentioned before, the bits, the cheek pieces, uh, all the things that you really need to know about the nomenclature, if you will, the descriptions of all the bits. And nowhere in there do I describe as to what bit you should use. I just don't think that's a decision that a trainer should be able to make unless you are working directly with me. And then, of course, I would make certain recommendations to you if you're a student or a client. But the reality is, is that without seeing a person ride, without seeing their horse, and without knowing the experience level of each, there's no way I'm going to, you know, run the risk of telling somebody what they should use and what they shouldn't use. But here's how they can get that resource, though, Laura. You and I've talked about it plenty of times before. But as a as a member of the Top Pan Club, you can download that video at no cost. So when somebody joins the Top Pan Club, or if you're already a member of the Top Pan Club, you can request a download to download that video and watch it from from start to finish. And, of course, if you download the video, then you can find those two misspellings that we just referred to. And the cool part about that, if you find those two misspellings, you can let us know and you get the next video at half cost. So I just think that's kind of a good deal. But sadly, at this point in time, the only way you can get that resource is to be a member of the Top Pan Club. But when you do join, you you get that download for absolutely nothing. Well, and it, I I think it would be really helpful. And I've actually I've seen that video, and it it for somebody who isn't real familiar with bits in general, and as you said, the terminology that's used, it's it is a good resource. It's too bad that it's not you know more widely available. But so that's a way for folks to do it. I mean, this isn't really like announcement time, but y'all consider joining the Top Hand Club because you get a lot more than that. But if you want to learn more about bits specifically, here's a way that you can get a, a, a really good video that shows you because some of that, you know, as I'm listening to you describe this stuff, Van, some of it's just hard to picture, especially if you're not real familiar with it in an audio podcast. So a video is is way better for helping. So you can actually see what you're talking about when you say an O-ring or, a you know, you point to the different pieces of it. But that's a way for people to do it. And, and I encourage people, there, there's lots more that you get from being in the top hand club, but this all by itself would be a, a worthwhile resource to have access to. Sure. And, uh, and that's especially for the folks who don't know bits in general, or that really don't know the 
the pieces. Mm -hmm. For example, if we were talking about curb bits, for example, there's a boatload of pieces of just one bit. You know, for example, the shank, the purchase, the mouthpiece, and all of those things are relative to how it affects your horse. And if it if it affects your horse, then obviously we need to know a lot about how to use that. Mm -hmm. But really, let's just in in the in the long and short of there's there's about three or four different classes, I guess you could say. As far as bits go themselves, we have snaffles, which are uh, oftentimes referred to as broken mouthpieces. But here's a, another big secret. Did you know that a snaffle bit is simply just a one-to-one ratio bit, regardless of the mouthpiece? It doesn't, in other words, the mouthpiece doesn't determine whether or not it's a snaffle or or not. What determines it whether it's a true snaffle is the fact that it's a one-to-one ratio bit, regardless of the mouthpiece. Now, most of us think of a snaffle bit as something with a broken mouthpiece. And in fact, I hear a lot of trainers refer to bridles, in other words, something that has a curb bit and, and, a, and a curb strut and everything else on it. Sometimes they'll refer to that curb bit with a broken mouthpiece as a snaffle with a shank. So th- that's, why, that's why it's so hard for folks not to be confused whenever we're talking about bits and bridles. There's just so much stuff and so much of it is is bad information or it's just information that's just been passed down. You know, for example, here's something that I that I try to get folks to think about sometimes and how things get passed down, especially with our bits and our culture and our tradition. For example, if if you've got like a let's say it's something minor, like a little paper cut on your finger, and uh and you're you're gonna put some sort of little bandage or something on on your finger there. What dang it, what 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 do they what do they call that little bandage that you put on your finger? In common usage, people call it a band-aid. Exactly. But yet if we think about it, a Band-Aid is actually a brand name. Mm-hmm. It's Johnson & Johnson Band-Aid. But the reality is it's just a bandage. It's just a small bandage that goes over your finger, whatever the case may be. But there's different brands. There's Curad and there's, there's Band-Aid and I'm sure there's tons of others as well. So that's how things happen with a snaffle. You know, enough guys refer to that broken mouthpiece thing as a snaffle. And before you know it, everybody calls it that and nobody questions it anymore. And I remember when I was a kid, Laura, before marketing was as good as it is today, you could run to your local concession stand at the ball game or at the rodeo and you could say, yeah, I want a Coke. And the guy behind the counter would ask you what kind, Mm -hmm. because we referred to Coke as any soda pop. In other words, any soda water. And so Coke became a very generic term. And thankfully for other companies such as Pepsi and some of the Coca-Cola competitors, they began to better brand their names so that Coca-Cola really had to work harder to sell their product over the others. In other words, Coke was no longer a generic name. Well, the same thing happened with a Band-Aid. Same thing happened with a Snaffle. So we have to realize that we have to be a little bit more understanding as to what our equipment really is, as opposed to just those quote unquote brand names. All right. So I hope that helps. So we have curb bits and we have snaffle bits. Those are two totally different things. And another one is something we refer to as bitless. I want to write a bitless bridle. And once that became kind of popular, Laura, then more and more people started manufacturing different types of bitless bridles. And a bitless bridle is basically anything that kind of goes over the horse's head that that doesn't have a bit in it, but yet you can still guide and, and, and ride your horse around with it. So that becomes kind of another generic term. We also refer to hackamores. Hackamore is also a generic term. There's a mechanical hackamore and there's a traditional hackamore. A mechanical hackamore is usually made out of some sort of metal and a big nose band. 
and a curb strap and it has leverage, but it has no bit. It just goes over the nose and around the horse's jaw, but again, it has no bit. A traditional hackamore is usually built out of rawhide, uh, has a rawhide core, and then it's got rawhide braided around it. It has a headpiece that goes over the and behind the horse's ears and the reins that come off of it, and, and it works on the horse's nose and lower jaw, but again, it has no bit. So all of those things, see, are different tools that people use to guide and ride their horses around. But my goodness, to use all of those things, it really takes a lot of experience, regardless of the tool that you use. But even there, we have to truly understand the tool, how it affects the horse, and then how to use it. Well, just as a sort of side question, I have heard people say, I I don't think I've ever used a a hackamore, and I'm pretty sure I've never used a bitless bridle, but I've heard them talked about in a way that that a hackamore is kinder to the horse, that it's gentler to the horse because it's not putting a bit in their mouth. Is that true? No, um, it can be, but <laughs> but a bit is only as harsh as the hands using it, right? So if we understand that the bit can only be as harsh as the hands using it, that supports my statement of saying just know what you're using and how it affects the horse. And some people are concerned about a bit bumping the horse's teeth or whatever the case may be. But again, if we understand how a horse's jaw is made and how their mouth is made, the bit actually rides between the horse's incisors and in, behind the incisors and in front of the molars. And there's a fairly good size gap there that the bit rests in. So it, it's just resting there and the horse is literally holding it and supporting it. So again, it can only be as hard and as harsh as the hands using it. Now, in some cases, let's take, for example, a bozal or a traditional hackamore. A bozal can be pretty hard on a horse because it's it's fairly heavy. It's got rawhide core. These things are probably anywhere between a half inch to five-eighths of an inch and sometimes even larger, sometimes three-quarters of an inch in diameter. And they literally go around the horse's nose and they connect again underneath the horse's jaw. So it rests on the horse's nose and it rests on the lower jaws. But what happens is people have a tendency to want to ride that on a very inexperienced horse, thinking that, well, they don't know how to hold a bit yet. They don't know how to support a bit yet. And and I want to protect and uh, save the horse's mouth for later. And I'm thinking, man, I, that's, that's totally, they, they totally misconceive how a bozal's used and why. A bozal's used mainly with really, really good, experienced hands. Mm. But if we understand how the, the bozal is used, if it's used incorrectly, it will cause a lot of problems. For example, if you pull on a bozal incorrectly, the bozal actually bumps and hits the horse on the lower jaw, which tells the horse to elevate his head. Mm. And yet most of us, in order to get our horses to travel correctly and collected, we need them to lower their head and collect themselves. So if it's used incorrectly, it'll actually do the opposite of what people think that they're trying to do. But you're right in stating that so many people, and typically most of them are inexperienced, and that's why they're listening, and that's why they go to clinics, that's why they go to the horse expos, that's why they go and they seek out more and more knowledge. But most people will use something that's bitless because they don't want to hurt the horse's mouth. And yet, they've got to realize that sometimes it's not the bit, it's the ignorance that hurts the horse's mouth the worst. And so... If you if you want to protect your horse's mouth, learn to control your hands, right? 
Exactly. Yep. Learn to ride, which most people think they can, <laughs> but learn to ride and learn to control your hands. You have to be very keenly aware that your hands are in direct contact and if not direct contact, loose direct contact. In other words, ever how drooped your reins are determines the amount of contact you're going to have on your bridle. But it's it's that knowledge that will give you the type of control and response from your horse that you'll need a lot more than going through all the confusion of all the different types of bits. Now, with that said, I'll also say this. My favorite go-to bit is always a snaffle. And, and, and my favorite is an offset D-ring snaffle. And I'll go into that at a later time as to why I choose an offset D-ring snaffle. But the reason I like a snaffle is because it's so unbelievably mild, uh, it, because it's a one-to-one ratio bit. The other thing is that it sends very direct signals. The other thing is I know that because it's a one-to-one ratio bit, meaning that if I pull back with one pound of pressure, that's exactly how much pressure the horse feels in his mouth. I know that because uh, with, without that leverage, I know exactly how much pressure it takes for my horse to respond. So now it's totally up to my feel to get my horse lighter and softer and more responsive because I, I learn over time without the aid of leverage, I know exactly the amount of response uh, my horse gives me according to the amount of, of pressure that I'm actually applying to the bit. So that that to me is paramount. Well, and so I know you have designed some bits, you have a line of bits, and I really for those listening, he didn't ask me to ask this. I'm just I'm just trying to clarify for my own sake. Do you have an offset D-ring snaffle bit that, that you've designed that you sell? Yes. And when Rainsman came to me and asked me if I would endorse their line, they were shocked when I said no. But they, they were like, but you use our bits. Yes, sir, I do. I use your bits. But I I wouldn't necessarily endorse yours over another one unless you let me make a few little minor changes. And then I'd be tickled to death to do that. And they did. They allowed me to make a few little minor changes to their snaffle. And then they also allowed me to kind of create my own little leverage bit, my shank bit. And um, so I use an offset D-ring and I'm going to kind of let the cat out of the bag. Why I choose an offset D-ring over a typical O-ring, they basically work the same way. They both work on the one-to-one ratio, but I'm also thinking down the road. In other words, I want to get a horse prepared in a snaffle today for what I might ride him with as a, as a competition horse later or a more advanced ranch horse later. Or maybe I just want to ride one-handed with a curb bit later. And if you'll think about almost any type of curb bit that you see, the, the parts that are on the sides of the horse's mouth that actually attaches to the bit itself is very straight. And almost every bit we see outside of a snaffle, that part of that uh, bit is straight. So the offset D-ring is straight right there. So it still has the rings, but the rings are attached to a straight piece. So that allows me that as I'm getting the horse used to the communication and getting him refined in that communication uh, with a snaffle, I'm also preparing him for the feel that he's going to have when we introduce a curb bit to him. So that's the only reason I chose a curb. I chose an offset D-ring over a typical O-ring snaffle many years ago is because it just allowed me to be a better teacher. It allowed me to be a a good horseman at the moment, but also a good teacher in preparing my horse for what was ahead. Okay. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about bits and about 
how many different ones there are. And I'm, I'm kind of smiling to myself because as uh, you know, I'm looking, we, we kind of, for, for, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit, when we prepare for these episodes, Van kind of gets a little bit of an outline together with the main points that he's going to hit on just so I know in general what he's going to talk about. But you kind of had a question in here about how does one decide what to use and when? And I'm smiling at that question because I think the answer you've given is the same answer I as a lawyer give to every question, which is, well, it depends. Yes. (laughs) So you've given the lawyer answer to the question. But you also, I'm, I'm glad that you, you did give at least a bit of a recommendation, you know, all other things being equal, this is what you would start with. So that's helpful. People that maybe want to want to look into it and see the different kinds can actually go to the to the store on your website, right? And see photographs of the different kinds of bits that you offer, which is a good cross section of the kinds that are available, right? Absolutely. And and here's the thing too, Laura, they, I would always welcome people to go to the website and take a look at the bits we have on there. But you know, if you really want to go see a boatload of bits, go to your stores and take a look there. But here's my word of caution is be careful who at the store you ask about the bits. Mm-hmm. Because sadly, most of those guys, they're great retailers, but most of them don't have a really good thorough education about the, some of the equipment that they sell. And I'm saying that with with a lot of experience. Most of those guys that I run into at most of those stores, whether it be the Perina stores or wherever we go to, most of those people are just phenomenal, great people to visit with, great business people. But they're very limited in their knowledge, understandably, because there's so much stuff in their store. Most of them are very limited in their knowledge about some of the equipment that they sell and specifically bits and saddles and that sort of thing. So where do you get your information? Seek out really good, reputable professionals who use the tools every day and also have really well-behaved, well-performing horses. And then you'll find out then recommendations they might offer. And at at the same time, the most important thing is that we truly have to understand and be honest with ourselves what our skill level is and what is the skill level of your horse. So whenever you're visiting with a trainer as to what bit you might use, give him as much information as you possibly can about your skill level and the skill level of your horse so that he might be able to make a better recommendation. And even then, I wouldn't recommend a, a trainer giving advice to anybody until they see the rider and the horse working together yeah. and then make decisions based on, on all the facts. Does that sound like a lawyer too? That, no, it, no <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's a, I mean, I think it's very helpful to, to kind of have this introduction to the fact that there are lots of different types of bits that it's helpful to understand, not just what they are, but how they work. Um, and to have somebody who, who understands how they work, why they work, what they're intended to do, and can put that understanding or that information into, in, into, you know, kind of to work for you after watching you work with your horse to, to come up with a better recommendation than just, you know, this is what I sell. And so you should buy what I sell or something like that. So I, I think that's very helpful. I, I would venture to say, the people listening may have lots more questions than answers after listening to this episode. Again, as a starting point, if you've got to get a bit this weekend, go buy an offset D-ring snaffle, I guess, and you can find find one on the store at vanhargis.com. But 
if you have questions specifically about a particular kind of bit, how it works or, you know, the situation with you and your horse, while I think Van's been pretty clear that he can't give any, any real recommendations about a specific bit without seeing you and your horse work together, he still welcomes questions and can give some sort of general answers that maybe will point you in the right direction. So if you have questions about bits or about anything else we talk about on this show, you know, communicate those. Van loves to answer questions. So you can post a question on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page, and then other people can get the benefit of that conversation as well. Or if you can email your questions to to Van at info at vanhargis.com, and he'll either reply to your email with an answer or answer it in a future episode of the podcast or more likely knowing him both. That's how you can help us make better episodes of the podcast as well by communicating the specific questions you have so that we can, he can kind of tailor the information he's giving out to what you guys actually need. That being said, um, I think we need to wrap up, but, um, I know you've got a ton of events coming up, Van, and uh, you've got a calendar on the website. I guess I always want to point people to the website at vanhargis.com because you not only find the store where you can buy interesting stuff, you find the calendar um, where you can see where Van's going to be. And I'm looking at your schedule here, Van, and I'm exhausted just looking at it. We've had a a busy spring already, and and it looks like our summertime is going to be pretty busy as well. We are going to our, our next clinic coming up. We have a lot of people up in the Northeast that's asked about clinics. And so we're headed back to the Northeast. The first clinic in the Northeast we're doing uh, is going to be, actually, I'll take it back. It's not going to be the first one. It's probably going to have a series of clinics up there, but we are doing one in Rhinebeck, New York. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful facility. And that's going to be the third weekend of June. And you can go to our website to find out more details about that specific clinic. And then we are currently working on actually an entire tour up there, Laura. It looks like we're going to be up there probably for about three weeks when we go up toward New York and up into the Northeast. It's been several years since we've been up in that area. And the last time we were there, we literally toured from one dressage barn to the next and just had an absolute blast helping people with their dressage horses, uh, helping them with some of the topics that we talked about today, bit selection and how to better use the bits, and some uh, some understanding of uh, some terms that we hear when working on training our horses with the bits. So for all those up in the Northeast, come and look us up. And of course, like you said, the rest of our stuff is uh, pretty much on our schedule as well on our website. Yeah. So yeah, if you're interested in learning more from Van directly about bits or about horsemanship in general, check the schedule, see if he's coming into your area. And if he's not, send an email to info at vanhargis.com to find out how you can host a clinic in your area to get get him up there. But I'm noticing also, Van, that your mama didn't raise no fool because you're you're heading up north for the, during the summertime, getting, getting out of Texas in August. So I'm, I'm Especially South Texas. Man, yeah. it's, you know, and, and they kept telling us, well, New York can get hot too. And we're really, what, so how hot is it going to get? Oh, it's going to be in the 80s at oh, least. Yeah. Man, done. We're there. <laughs> Sign me so. up. Take me with you. Yeah. Um, okay. And quick reminder, because I don't want to go on too long. We mentioned earlier the top hand club and this is a kind of a, a membership site that van has developed this is something he's wanted to do for years and he launched it i think he launched it last year 
And yep. this is a, a you, you sign up. It's a subscription based thing, so you you pay monthly, or, or you know, there's a certain monthly charge to it. But you get not only access to this free bit by bit. Um, video, but access to a whole library of video tutorials where Van can demonstrate in video some of the things that he talks about here on the podcast. And that library continues to grow as he keeps adding things. You get a lot of other benefits from being a member of the Top Hand Club, including discounts. If you want to buy one of his bits or a saddle or whatever, you get a discount. But here's the deal. He has had a special offer going from launch that the first, that the, the, what do you call them? The, the charter, the members. charter members get a special deal of, is it $4.95 a month? Yes. yes. And, $4.95 a month. And yep. So it's $4.95 a month. You get all these benefits and that price will stay the same for as long as you remain a member of the top hand club. But They've almost filled up those uh, that charter member limit, and once that number is filled, the the fee monthly fee is going to go to nine ninety five a month. So, y'all, if you have any interest in this, go to the website at vanhargis dot com, check out the Top Hand Club, and join today and lock in that four ninety five a month price uh, because it's it pays for itself pretty quickly. But if if you miss that uh, charter member threshold, then it's going to be more expensive and still worth it. I mean, it's still, they're still going to get great benefit for it, but don't wait too much longer. And I think I've, you know, so I, I I just don't want people to miss out on that, but I I didn't, don't want to beat it to death. So I think that's it, Van. Anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Well, Laura, as always, I'm so appreciative of the folks listening, and it was really cool. We just did the uh, the big expo, the main event up in Alberta, Canada. We're going back to the main event out in Chilliwack, which is in British Columbia, Canada, this fall. So a big shout out to those folks. Can't wait to see you again. But while we were there, I, it was so amazing to see how many people raised their hands when we said, how many are listeners of Ride Over Stride podcast? So it was really cool to get to go some other place other than your own backyard and see people who are actually listening. And I want to tell those folks how grateful I am that they listen and how grateful we are for the questions and the emails that we get. So with that said, I just want to remind everybody that until next time, this is Van Hargis with Ride Every Stride. And remember, it's your ride, your trail, your journey. So Ride Every Stride. Ride Every Stride.